Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Cara. Hi, Vanessa. So the folks listening may not know a few things about me that will be relevant as we do an entire episode about youth sports over specialization. And there's a few things they may not know about you that you will share when I am done blabbing. So I was a lifelong, I am a lifelong athlete. I played three varsity sports in high school. I played soccer in college. And I grew up in a generation where you played a different sport every season, often two sports every season. I never played in tournaments outside of my state. I didn't travel further than a few minutes, maybe half an hour to play in different sports leagues. And I was considered a happy, healthy, successful athlete. Yeah, because it was the 90s. The 80s and the 90s, yes. (laughs) And then I had children and I began parenting. My husband and I began parenting those children through the current reality of youth sports, which is completely different in one generation than how I grew up. And I have four kids who all specialized, some might say over-specialized in soccer. 
And they've now had a series of different journeys through that path, which is all to say this is both a very personal podcast in some ways. I also founded a company called Dynamo Girl that was devoted to empowering non-specialized youth sports. So this is kind of a very personal episode in some ways and a topic very close to my heart and also a very universal topic for many, many people. And I want to add that your children are being raised in the same area that you were raised. So it wasn't like you moved elsewhere and the experience was different. You are a very good example of someone. And I think most people who are listening can relate to this, the way that sports looked when today's adults were growing up was very, very different than the way it looks today, the way any sport looks today, regardless of where you are geographically. Yes, I would say it's not regardless of your socioeconomic reality, but it is... We're going to talk about that. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to get to that. But it is regardless of where in the United States you live. And what we want to get to in this episode is the first of what will probably be several conversations about over-specialization in particular. This concept of picking one sport and becoming expert at it at an increasingly young age. And not just the pressure that kids feel to do that, but the mandate that kids do that, right? By coaches, by parents, by colleges. It feels like there is so much downward pressure. Your story is very personal. We write about this in our new book, which was a really, it was a funny chapter to write because we wrote a whole book about puberty and we thought we were shoehorning in a chapter about sports. So we were like, okay, youth sports has nothing to do with puberty. But, and then when you read the chapter, which is one of our longer chapters, actually, puberty has everything to do with youth sports and youth sports has everything to do with puberty. And I'm so happy that we got it in there. And by the way, I asked a dear friend who is also a pediatrician, who is also raising three kids through sports specialization. And I said, as we were debating, do we keep this chapter or not? And she said to me, you absolutely have to include that chapter. It is so, so critical. And I'll be honest, it was the hardest chapter for me to write in the whole book. And we both told very personal stories up top. You told a version of what you just described. And what I copped to at the very top was being a pediatrician who has always believed firmly in no specialization. The data is very clear, and we're going to go through a little of it. And yet, I have a child who is a specialized athlete. And I talk about it in the book openly because this is the world we are living in. And this is the experience one of my kids is having through athletics. And so how can we as parents raising kids who are athletes and who are being pressured into playing one sport year round, how can we keep those kids safe and healthy? And I 
you know, I use that term a lot in pediatrics and usually people think that means drugs and sex and it doesn't. It actually applies to sports too. How do you keep their bodies from getting injured? How do you keep them from wear and tear that will keep them out of exercise when they're older? How do you keep their mindset healthy? So youth sports presents all of the same challenges that all these other things present. It just looks different. The package is different. And I just want to spend one minute walking through for people who are not there yet, who maybe don't have kids old enough to specialize or are in families where they've chosen a different path. I just want to lay out what it looks like in a family where kids are specializing. So typically they are playing that sport between four and six days a week or you know, performing in that sport. They are typically doing that at least if they have specialized or over-specialized, they are doing it at least from September to June, if not through the summer. They are spending holiday weekends traveling to competitions and tournaments, often out of state, often at high cost. I mean, financial cost. And other costs, miss social opportunities. Oh, oh, a huge other costs. Absolutely. Miss school, miss proms, miss dances, miss sleepovers, miss birthday parties. So I think to what end? So first of all, there's this feeling of if you don't specialize. And that, by the way, that scenario that I laid out of playing several days a week, you know, nine or 10 months a year is true of eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. This is not just, you know, 13, 14-year-olds. This is starting early in grade school. And the refrain I hear most often from adults is, if they haven't specialized by third grade, it feels like it is too late. I mean, that is bananas. Bananas. It's bananas. People with eight-year-olds feel like it is too late. I was a very successful lacrosse player in high school. I did not learn to play lacrosse until freshman year of high school. Well, and let's put a little structure around the the feeling of pressure for the adults involved in the lives of younger kids. So that feeling exists. It is very common. Parents and caregivers talk about it a lot. Let us disabuse you of that notion because we're going to split this conversation into a conversation about younger kids and a conversation about older kids. Kids in grade school, while you may feel that there is an expert baseball player who's on a travel team when he's nine or she's nine and, you know, playing school baseball and then travel baseball and then, you know, heading out with an adult or even a private coach to play baseball on the weekends. Well, that child may feel like they are so far and beyond everyone else that everyone else has to do the same thing to get there. The data is very clear, very clear that multi-sport athletes who alternate their sports throughout the calendar year are more successful athletes at the high school college and professional levels. And this is really important to shine a light on, especially as we're talking about being parents of high schoolers who are now in high school single sport athletes. And we'll get to that in a minute. But just to be super clear, if your goal for your child or if your child's goal is to be a professional athlete 
every single study you read will say, then don't specialize in a sport when you are, certainly when you're in grammar school, but frankly, even up until about ninth grade. The data is very, very clear. It's hard when it feels like everybody else is on a track. And so like so much else in caring for kids, we can hear the data, we can hear that they're at lower risk for injury. If they play multiple sports, we can hear that 71% of Division I men's football players were multi-sport athletes in high school. And yet, just like so many other things and caring for kids when everyone else is doing it and you're worried your kid is going to be behind, you kind of get on that bandwagon anyways. It's very hard to resist it. So this whole episode is meant with the intention of no judgment, None. of the recognition <laughs> who are we to judge, that right? Cara and I have been there, that we are there now on some level, that we have mixed feelings about some of the decisions we have made or continue to make or let our kids make. Mine was, I had a multi-sport athlete yes. who, you know, we we live in LA, COVID came and Los Angeles, almost more than anywhere in the country or as much as anywhere that was super strict in the country, shut down for 16 months. There were no legal youth sports or a lot of youth sports, but they were happening illegally against the rules. Kids were being asked to break rules. It was very complicated. My son had started rowing. And if you can row with two oars, which is called sculling, you can be in a boat alone and you can be with other people, but talk about distanced, right? You're on water. You're dozens of feet away from the next person. And so they were able to row. And that is actually how he became a single sport athlete was COVID, that was something he could do that wasn't breaking the rules. And that was something that was comfortable for him. And now he he is towards the end of his high school career and has been focused on one sport. And it is still a complicated issue in our home because let's lay out the reasons why being a single sport athlete is not a great plan. First of all, the injury rate is significantly higher. Different sports, different injuries. But if you look at baseball, again, I'm going to pick on baseball, not because I don't like baseball, but because baseball, there's a ton of data about baseball. There's a lot of data about soccer. There's a lot of data about basketball. But baseball in particular, we can look at metrics like how many pitches a pitcher will throw and how that number of pitches correlates to how quickly that kid, kid, ends up in the operating room getting a Tommy John surgery, which fixes the ligamentous injury that happens from pitching over and over and over again to the point where some baseball leagues and baseball programs have limited the number of throws because they're trying to save kids from the operating room. Tommy John surgery used to be almost exclusive to professional baseball players. So it was really only professional baseball players who ended up in an operating room getting that particular surgery. Now, the most common people to get Tommy John surgery are not professional baseball players. They are high schoolers. So and this is stunning. It's, I mean, a similar phenomenon for ACL reconstructions. The highest population now receiving ACL reconstructions are 13 to 17-year-old girls. Right. I, I mean, mean, 
you know, it used to be a much older population. And now that's the biggest population getting ACL reconstruction. So, so right. So when, when we say why we didn't want to do it, I mean, that is why for in our house, it was never, ever, ever going to happen before high school because the data is that the younger the specialization starts, the faster you end up in the operating room. But it is still a stressor for me. And anyone who knows me knows that, you know, I, I basically insist on cross-training in order to protect the body. So my son, who is, you know, a very dedicated rower, has also heard us loud and clear, and my husband's on the same page, where the cross-training has to happen as if he's in another sport, right? As if he is because he builds different muscles and he stretches different muscles and he uses different joints and he protects his body by going about it that way. So just to be super clear. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders, in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. (laughs) And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa. We literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and 
Out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. The other reason I think for me, a big reason why I didn't want my kids to specialize was the emotional toll. And that shows up in a few different ways. So one of the reasons I started Dynamo Girl is because there's so much emotional upside to kids who play sports that the self-esteem and sense of self-worth and confidence and you know, academic success. And there's like a million wonderful reasons why sports have an incredible impact on kids. And I feel so much the beneficiary of all of those things, having played sports all through my youth and adolescence. However, research also tells us that kids who over-specialize, they are considered deeply at risk for the inverse qualities, lower self-esteem, higher rates of eating disorders, higher anxiety and depression. Just look at the suicide rates amongst NCAA athletes. There's just been a devastating rash of suicides made public by these incredibly successful athletes. And so my husband and I were really concerned about the burnout, about depression, about anxiety, about the perfectionism, about eating disorders and body image issues in sports. I mean, that I think that's what I was most worried about. And also, Cara, I was worried that I was going to turn into a parent 
who was just beating their kid up and pressuring them and making them feel inadequate and valuing their athletic career over them as human beings and pushing them to do stuff that they didn't want to do. I mean, that was like, I think ultimately my worst nightmare is that I would turn into one of those people and not even realize it until it was too late. So one tip that we always give parents and the adults involved in these kids' lives, which includes coaches, right, is that they find a way to see what is internally motivated and to honor what is internally motivated. But if the kid is not internally motivated to participate in the sport, that they step back and re-examine, okay, is it that that child should not be playing that particular sport? Is there something else going on? But what is my job as the adult in their life and the person who's trying to encourage them to be part of a team, huge benefit, to move their body, huge benefit, to occupy their time with sport as opposed to doing something that might be dangerous or impulsive, huge benefit, right? So when you say you didn't want to turn into that kind of parent, I think that's what you mean is you didn't want to lose sight of who was motivated to accomplish this, you or your child. And I applaud you for that. That is exactly right. And on top of that, so much about how adults care for kids playing sports is a, <laughs> so often it's about the adult's own story. Either they were deeply successful athletes who want kids to be deeply successful, or they were not successful athletes and they are desperate to raise a child who is successful or, you know, they live in a community where sports is valued more highly than anything else, or they work in an industry where they see how successful people who were athletes are. And one thing that I work really hard at, and maybe I overcorrected, I'm starting to realize there's so much my kids don't know, is I don't really talk about my athletic career. I don't talk about... I don't talk about mine either. (laughs) Yours would be a very short conversation. It would be half a sentence. <laughs> um, but I don't talk about the awards I won. I don't talk no. about the any of that because I'm like everything else we cover on this podcast, I'm so desperate for them to write their own story about what their athletic careers are and who they are and what their adolescence is. And I don't want them to feel like they're reliving my youth, my story, my success, my failure. And so... I keep it really, really quiet. Which has two sides to it, right? I mean, on the one hand, yes, that's totally the right way to go. I totally agree with you. And if I was giving you parenting advice, that's the advice I would give you, right? On the other hand, you sort of run the risk of minimizing the importance to them when they don't realize how much you understand about how important something is to them. There's a balance to be found there. I was staying at your house and your kids, two of your kids were on their school soccer teams and they were headed towards championships. And one of your kids in particular would not let you talk about it because of that like bad karma, bad juju, you know, you're going to ruin it for us. If you even breathe the word, you know, champion, it won't happen. And so 
we didn't talk about it. And it was like the elephant in the room. He had just played this huge game and you were walking this super fine line trying to tell him how excited you were for him and how proud you were. He had been on a bus for two hours each way. It was like, it was crazy scenario. And and yet we, we didn't talk about it at all. And then the championship came after I left. It came a couple of days later. And you finally had the opportunity and you, I know because we were on the phone and then you posted this beautiful picture and and sort of showing the end product. It was like the dam had let loose a little and you were able to share how proud you were. And what was incredible about that moment, what I could see in that moment was he did need to hear that too. So we talk about them being internally motivated, but it's really important for them to get external validation as well. They are spending so many hours dedicated to whatever activity they're doing. They are putting in their heart and soul. It is physical, it is mental, and they do want us to be a participant, just not not that kind of participant, right? Not the kind you don't want to be. Well, they want us to be a participant in the way they want us to be a participant. And part of it is with each kid, I mean, I will never forget, Cara, when my oldest, Samson, who you've all met on our hilarious episode with Samson and Talia, when Samson was about eight, he was playing in a game. He was my first child, my guinea pig, my first pancake, as Cara likes to call them. And being the inexperienced parent that I was, I started coaching him from the sidelines, which when you read our book, you will know you should never, ever, ever coach your kid from the sidelines. So I'm coaching my kid from the sidelines and he looks at me and he pulls the (laughs) the zipper. Vanessa is doing the zipper on the lip. (laughs) The zip your mouth you know, mime on the field and looks at me. And I was like, okay, he's telling me something. A, I should shut my mouth. But B, like, it's not my game. It's his game. And he's got to play it. And he's got to make his mistakes. And he's got to learn. We did something really fascinating. When I coached, I had the unenviable position of being the parent coach on a club team for my daughter. With my colleague, Mary Pat, whose daughter was also on the team. So here we were like the two Dynamo girl coaches thinking we were like, you know, totally going to kill it. And our daughters were like, could not wait for us to stop coaching them. Anyways, we said to the girls, their parents were doing a lot of coaching on the sidelines, telling them what to do, telling them the opposite of what the coaches were doing. And finally, we sat down with the girls. They were like, I think 12. And I said, you know, what's helpful for you to hear on the sidelines? What is useful? What makes you feel good? And what's distracting and what makes you feel like, you know, you don't know what's going on. And they said, no matter whenever we hear our names, no matter if it's in a positive way or a negative way, it's really distracting. We don't like it when our parents call our names on the field. And we were like, that's fascinating. They said, for sure, don't coach us. Like, let our coach tell us what to do. And I said, what can the parents do? What's okay? And they said, they can clap. And that's it. And for the rest of the season, all we did was like essentially a golf clap on the sidelines. And Mm -hmm. it was amazing. It was so incredible to witness the girls' freedom 
because they weren't worried about what their parents were saying or doing or thinking. They were free to move their bodies and take risks and experiment without the involvement. And I think that's the balance that we're trying to strike when we talk about over-specialization. Because on the one hand, we want to give all kids the freedom to learn how to move their bodies, to explore the world, to try new things, to be on a team, to do all these things, right? To fail. We always talk about the freedom to fail, right? And we want to give them all the opportunity to do this. Some of them turn out to be quite good. And the ones who turn out to be quite good, there's this very quick escalator that is presented to them where they can rise through the ranks of you know, the the peewee sports and then the youth sports and then the, you know, yada, yada, yada. And there's increasing validation along that escalator ride. And how much for the parents of those kids, how much do we just stand by the sidelines and cheer them on and encourage them knowing they're pushing maybe a little too hard or they're playing above their rank or they're on a field with kids who are twice their size, or, you know, you can think of any other example. And then there's a second group who might not be as good, but their parents see in them a kernel of potential, or they see in themselves a kernel of wishing they had had certain opportunities. And they push those kids up that same escalator And it doesn't come from a bad place, but the outcome is potentially devastating in the other direction because it's not coming internally. So there are these different competing camps and both have to balance different issues. So I want to say a couple of things about that. One is having observed, coached, been involved in youth sports for nearly two decades, kids rise and plateau and rise and plateau in their own time on their own schedule. And there are kids who seem eh, mediocre at one age who are phenomenal a couple years later. There are kids who are phenomenal who plateau a few years later. So some of it is, yes, there are some kids who are just naturally gifted athletes who that's their superpower, right? And they are extraordinary at anything they try And there are other kids where it's a grind and they work and they practice that skill over and over and over again until they get it. No one is immune to the plateau. And most kids are also, you know, still going to have those surges of great talent. The other thing I will say is even the kids who are extraordinary, who are on every all-star team and every statewide whatever, if they are a late bloomer, particularly a late blooming boy, that can derail that child's athletic career. If the adults let it and if the league or the coaching allows it, that kid can be pushed off the escalator. And I I wanna talk about that because you and I have both interviewed lots of people and worked with lots of people. And I have family members where it was a heartbreaking reality to hit puberty at an not a good time for their sport, and it threw everything off the tracks. And there's a safety issue there. I mean, if you've got a 14-year-old who weighs 90 pounds and has very little lean muscle mass development, 
because they're a late bloomer and they're on a football field and they're facing off against a 150 pound, very muscular 14 year old who has eight inches on them, there's a safety issue. And yet there's also a psychological safety issue there. And I think that's what you're getting at. And the question often becomes, well, then what with those kids, especially those kids who identify as athletes, they're outstanding athletes. They just, their body hasn't caught up. So I've thought a lot about it. I've talked to a lot of parents about it. And the goal is that they don't quit, right? Because it's something not only that they love, but something they feel talented at that gives them confidence that all of a sudden is making them feel less than. And We don't want them to feel less than, but also if they have a special talent, it would be like if your kid was an artist and all of a sudden stopped drawing because they felt like, oh, everybody else in art class is better than I am. And so the path for those families, I think, and you know, there I'm now hearing about permutations in certain leagues where they have special dispensation for late bloomers. They let them play year down. And there's like a couple of slots on a roster for late blooming boys in particular to play um, with kids a year younger. Also, like maybe it's a year or two to go on a less competitive team or in a league where it's maybe less physical or there's a little bit more of an age range or there's like, you know, seventh and eighth grade and maybe they're eighth grade or something like that where the pressure is off, where they can still feel successful where the talent pool may not be as great, but the impact on their self-confidence might be higher. And on the flip side, Cara, the early blooming girls, we know there's a self-consciousness about breasts and size and weight on the sports field. And sometimes they feel self-conscious because they're bigger, not because they're smaller. Or they're managing new body parts like breasts and they don't have the proper equipment like they don't have a good bra, and then it's physically uncomfortable to be there. Or they're dancers, classic dancers, mm. divers, gymnasts yep. are all not only in leotards, but in leotards or bathing suits and in front of a mirror much of the time or are being seen. It's it's interesting how swimmers are in totally different category, but dancers, divers, gymnasts are at very high risk for developing eating disorders and body dysmorphia as they head into and through the early stages of puberty, partially or largely because of their sport. Which takes us back to this conversation about over-specialization. And I want to keep circling back to it because it's very complicated. How did we land in a world, we're on the cusp of 2023, how did we land in a world where success in sport looks like a year-round commitment to only one thing. When the data is clear that playing more than one thing makes you a better athlete in each of those things, when the injury data is clear that playing more than one thing keeps your body safer and healthier and less likely to end up in an emergency room or an operating room, how did we end up here, right? And Where does it go from here? Who are the drivers? And what can we as a society do to honor these kids who have a talent and a passion and a hunger, but also to give them an opportunity 
to take care of themselves. And we haven't even talked about play, free play, and how over-specialization has essentially robbed kids of free play in the early years, right? They're all coached and organized and on teams starting in grammar school. So there's no pick up baseball or pick up basketball like there used to be. And there are all these drivers of that. So that's a big piece of this too. But ha- Vanessa, how'd we end up here? And hopefully what are, what are our kids going to be parenting in another generation when their kids are growing up? I mean, part of the reason we ended up here is because there's so much money to be made in youth sports. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And in the years between my time as an athlete and my kid's time as an athlete, it has sprung up. An entire industry of youth sports has sprung up. And the reality of what's called pay to play, which is in order to specialize, you have to pay thousands of dollars a year in order to be on teams, go to tournaments, compete in different settings, buy different uniforms. And so not only have we become a culture where we specialize year round, but we also have become a culture where it's those who can afford to pay are the ones who can participate, which means the communities that are underserved, at risk, without the resources to play, the kids who need teams and exercise and access to mentoring adults and coaches are the ones who are the last people in line to get it because they cannot pay to play. And so they are increasingly at risk without the benefits of sports, you know, keeping them busy. Girls who play sports have lower rates of pregnancy, have better grades, have less drug use. I mean, there are real safety issues. Like you talk about, Cara, the safety is serious. And yet communities where girls are most at risk for that are the ones who are getting the least access to these sports and these opportunities. And so it is also a social justice issue, this over-specialization. Right. I mean, how crazy is that? That it's the rare kid now who is benefiting from the current situation. On one extreme, the child who's successful in the system is not benefiting because they're super specialized and they're at high risk there. And on the other hand, the kid who is completely outside the system because of social forces, economic forces, you name it, that child's not benefiting. It feels like it's the rare kid who's able to strike balance in the middle. Well, on top of that, and I hate to bring in another complicated issue on top of an already complicated issue, but I think part of what's driving this is the insanity of the college process now that so many people are striving towards schools that are so competitive to get into and that having a kid who has specialized in a sport either to be recruited or to build their resume makes them a more appealing candidate for a school or they're hoping, you know, in very real ways to get an athletic scholarship in order to pay for college, which I really understand because college is so expensive now. And so the broken college system in our country, I think is also contributing to this. Frankly, I don't use the word insanity lightly, but it is a kind of insanity around youth sports. And I will tell you, Cara, and he won't mind my sharing this. My oldest decided to quit club soccer 
when he decided he didn't want to play in college. And to him, it was, I'm only playing club soccer because I think I might want to play in college. Okay, I don't want to play in college. Now I want to do what's fun and most enjoyable to me, which is to play three different sports, one sport each season for my school and not specialize. And so that the intertwining of youth sports specialization and the college process is very, very connected. Right. And looked at from a different perspective, because that's the perspective of someone who's at college who could look back and acknowledge it. Looking from the perspective of kids who are in middle or high school, we as a society have not given them the freedom to see things that way. Mm -hmm. They don't, if they're in a sport five, six, seven days a week for two, three, four hours a day, where is the space that they have in their life to step back and examine and actually do that really higher level thinking, right? And so, you know, you can see why this chapter ended up being so long and there's a lot of data in it, but also a lot of questions like the questions that we've hurled out here. There are some pretty incredible stories written by college athletes who describe their experience and their path through and what life is like now, now that they're playing in college and the pros and the cons and sort of seeing their specialization pay off or not. One of our interns is a D1 college athlete who was not specialized in high school, but talks about what it took to not be specialized. Talk about economic resources and time. She was a non-specialized high-level athlete who was just gone all the time and training all the time, which is all to say there are lots of questions. There are lots of different experiences through. There are lots of different reasons why certain people choose one path and other people choose another. There are lots of people like me who have one child that is an athlete and is on an athletic path and it really defines who he is in a way that I can't understand because I'm not an athlete. So I just try my best, but it's not intuitive to me. And I have another child who's the opposite, who, you know, going for a jog is, you know, a, a real accomplishment. And I'm always proud of her when she does, but nothing in her wants to be on a field or on a, on a court, you know, furiously competing. And she was that way when she was three and she was in AYSO soccer and she was picking the daisies and everyone else was playing soccer around her. Cara had a daisy picker. For me, so I have one kid who's still playing club soccer while she's playing a sport a season at school. And she's my third. And by the time I got to my third kid, I was so much smarter at looking at what is the program like? What is the commitment like? What is the coaching staff like? How much flexibility is there for her to say one night, oh, I'm so tired. I just can't go to practice. And she's not going to get you know, dropped from the team. What is the travel schedule like? What are the demands on her? What are coaches saying about her body, about her eating, about her teammates, right? There were so many considerations that I didn't know to think about when I started this journey that I now understand are so critical. And as someone who loves sports, who loves playing sports and watching sports and Honestly, nothing makes me happier than watching my kids play sports. 
I have so many regrets about what I could have done differently. And mostly, Cara, my regrets are that I took so long to learn to listen to my kids and hear, read between the lines, listen between the lines. I don't know what the equivalent is of what they were saying to me by what they were not saying, of what they were saying to me when they really meant something else, of what they needed, what decisions I needed to make for them as their parent, even though they were saying, no, 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 I want to keep going or no, 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 I want to be on this team. And so for all of you grappling with this scenario, I would say, don't do what I did or do what I did, but earlier and learn to listen and learn to ask the kinds of questions that get you to the heart of what's going on for your kid. Make sure they're doing this because they want to, because they love it, because it brings them joy and meaning and purpose. And make sure they're not doing it to please us. Make sure they're not doing it because they have no identity otherwise. Make sure they're not doing it because they're building their college resume, make sure it's because it really feels special and wonderful and exciting to them. And if they do choose to specialize, make sure they're old enough that when they make that choice, their body can handle it. So it's sometimes a chronologic age, but as you mentioned earlier, Vanessa, there are some late bloomers who they might hit ninth grade and they're still physically quite immature. And when those kids specialize, they can run into more trouble. And so make sure that they are emotionally, but also physically capable of doing it. Make sure that if they're specialized, they are still cross-training. This is critical. It is critical, especially parents who have kids in specialized positions in specialized sports. So pitchers are the example I always use, but there are more examples across other sports, but if they're doing one motion over and over and over again, I can promise you they will not be the exception to the rule of wear and tear. So make sure you keep that varied. And then finally, there's a wait until eighth movement about cell phones. Maybe we should all start banding together and creating a version for sports specialization that honors the fact that kids, just like their brains aren't ready for certain devices until they're older, their bodies aren't ready for certain routine exercises and workouts and regimens over and over and over again until they hit a certain point. And it would be an amazing accomplishment if we moved the bar on travel teams and special club teams and superstar teams and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. If we move that bar to later, but that requires all of us not participating. And ultimately, we can't completely change the culture around us, but we can certainly dictate the culture in our own families. And that means showing your kids you love them, whether they win or lose, whether or not they make the A-team, whether or not they sit on the bench or they star in the game or in the competition, because these years are short. But how we treat them during these years lives with them forever. And they will always remember who we were to them in these important moments. And so be the parent, be the adult who, when they look back, 
they remember how you cared for them, how you love them for them and not just for their ability or their performance. I think there's a part two and probably a part three to this episode. Part two feels like it's going to be, I have a kid who left sports. Now what? How do I reignite the love? Because that's a really common story. And so we'll get to it. We'll get to it. And maybe Cara will have some specialized athletes or some former athletes on to talk about their experience and what they wish their adults had done or known in those days. So Godspeed, strength to you all and to be continued, Cara. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com